Come and dream with me. Hello, welcome to What Do You Watch, the Explosion of X Premier Media Podcast. Every week we get together to talk about movies, TV, and online content, help you answer the question Will Hayao Miyazaki ever actually retire? Doesn't seem like it. I'm your host, Ashley Hobley. Join me today, Dylan Blatt. Well, I'm, I'm going to be very keen to see there's going to be a stage here where Quentin Tarantino and him will be saying they're retiring for like the length of Jimmy Barnes's retirement tour, I reckon. Yeah, so apparently, <laughs> uh, what the head of uh, Studio Ghibli's executive Junichi Nishi- Nishioka told CBC News, other people say that uh, The Boy and the Heron might be his last film, but he doesn't feel that way at all. He's currently working on new ideas for a new film. He comes into his office every day and does that. This time, he's not going to announce his retirement at all. He's going to continue working, as he's just always done. Uh, yeah, so I think it's already confirmed he's not retiring anymore. <laughs> um, I've never, I've never personally understood... Like, if you're an artist, hmm. why do you need to state you're retiring, really? Like, just just do just something. Do. If it if it happens to be your last one, we'll we'll know that. Yeah. If not, like if you because then you're like locking yourself into this. What if like five six years pass and then suddenly you're like fuck, I've got this really great idea. I want to like do this thing, and it's like oh, suddenly it's a big story coming out of retirement. It's like well, you know, yeah. Uh, I just want to read this uh, excerpt from uh, the Verge uh, that Alicia Haddock wrote. Uh, the year is 1997, and famed Studio Ghibli director Hayao Miyazaki announced plans to retire following the release of Princess Mononoke, a film that set new records at the box office for Japanese animation and revolutionized the medium. The year is 2001, and Miyazaki announced plans to retire following the release of Spirit Away, saying he can no longer work on full feature-length animated films. The year is 2013, and Miyazaki announced plans to retire following the release of The Wind Rises, saying that if I said I wanted to make another feature film, I would sound like an old man saying something foolish. Uh, the year is now 2023, and Miyazaki is an old man saying something foolish by releasing a new film titled <laughs> How, Do I, How Do You Live in Japan and renamed The Boy in the Heron to the international market. The point is, it's hard to say with any certainty whether this will truly be the moment Miyazaki steps away from feature animation for good. So yeah. I suspect... This is going to sound gruesome, but I think he's going to die in the process of making another movie. Which I think is fine, right? Yeah. I don't feel like this is a, like, especially in the way he makes them. Like, he's, yeah. especially, at least from my understanding of the way he made the last, this last film in particular, I guess, which is just, like, over the course of as long as he fucking takes to make it, yeah. pretty much, like... Maybe with those other films, like the more the pressure from the studio, you know, like to mm. to try and get things out faster, et cetera, all that. But yeah. I just feel like if if he wants to work on things and if if he dies yeah. making it, if he's paying like, for other people to help. The other thing is he's actually drawing like the frames himself, which a lot yes. of other directors, I feel like that isn't the case. They're kind of that's why it takes so overseas. long for this fucking movie to come out. <laughs> you know, so in my mind, uh. He'll pass away in the process of making his next movie, and there'll be like an unfinished one unfinished frame somewhere mm. in the movie, which is was the last frame he was working on that they don't want to poetic, yeah, don't want to finish off. Yeah, Studio Ghibli's problem isn't not letting him just 
like do stuff like this until the day he passes away. Their problem is they have no way to continue the studio after he dies. Mm. Is their current predicament, which is a whole other thing. But like that—that's their problem. Is they have they had fresh talent in there, which the baton was supposed to be passed to, but they left and made their own studio, and like without once once Miyazaki passes, like there's just no movies anymore. Like it's just done. His son what? makes movies, but then yeah. no winner is good. <laughs> well, that's the other, like there's a legacy element that makes it like yeah. super difficult to want to be a director at studio Ghibli. I would assume like mm. it's, it's a safer bet to like go start a new studio than uh, make a film at studio Ghibli and have to live up to the Miyazaki's and the, other, uh, who's the other big Stu Ghibli director? Uh, oh, um, fuck, yeah, yeah, fuck, <laughs> god damn it, he makes a movie you hate, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Isai Takahara, mm. yeah, um, yeah, so. Yes, we'll wait and see. Uh, obviously, the boy and the hair, and still no confirmed release date for Australia, which is. Do you watch the trailer? No, I did not watch the trailer yet. Neither. Or the teaser. And if you were going to, I've put seen it stills the... and stuff. Yeah, I was, like, yeah. I've, I scroll through Twitter. I've seen a thumbnail, which is as, about as much as I'm probably going to watch online. If you'd put it in this week's notes for the trailer, I was actually going to override it, yeah. you for the first time and say I'm not. Yeah. I refuse. I, I suspected that would be the case. Yeah. So I uh, smartly just decided to skip yeah. that. The only way I'm going to watch it is if it's forced upon me in this in a cinema screening. I can't escape. Um, by my own choice, I'm going to. I'm just not watching anything. All right. On today's episode of What Do You Want to Watch, we'll be discussing watching our watch history, going over some film news, giving thumbs to trailers that aren't the boy and the heron, and giving you this week's top three. Uh, kicking things off, I went to a screening of. Haunting in Venice, the latest of Kenneth Branagh's Hercule Poirot films, this time set in the city of Venice, uh, not on some sort of mode of transportation. Um, he returns as Hercule Poirot, uh, now retired, uh, trying to live a somewhat peaceful life in uh, Venice, but he is recruited by his longtime friend, uh, Ariane Oliver. A uh, author, a mystery author, uh, who kind of helped make Hercule Pro infamous by writing a novel loosely based on him. Um, she recruits him to help her figure out what, how this uh, medium is scamming people. So there's this medium played by Michelle Yeoh, uh, who comes to a widows well spoilers she's scamming people i thought it was real well she thinks it's a scam what? she assumes it's a scam because we live in the real world and mediums are scams am i right mm, mm, mm. yeah um so she goes to this there's a it's halloween it's on halloween <laughs> halloween night they go to like this piazza home that this uh uh opera singer lives in she lost her daughter the year before through what appears to be a suicide after hearing voices. Um, the house apparently is cursed or haunted um, with a story of 
uh, in the basement, like a bunch of children got locked in and were left there to die. Uh, and now all the children want to uh, kill any uh, doctors or nurses who enter the home. Um, sure. um, Seems fair. So the daughter would hear the voices and would driven crazy. The uh, the medium comes and gives a, has a seance, um, and then a murder happens during the night, and Pekapro goes about solving it, uh, even though you know he's been retired for a little while. Um, I really enjoyed it. I had a good time. Uh, I think it's probably up there with his. I think it's probably Murder on the Orient Express. This and then Death and Nile uh, in the order. Um, yeah, it's just uh, obviously the thing that is just a really well put together film. Like it is very old school. Like obviously we've had a slate of like mystery whodunits recently with obviously Ryan Johnson being at the front front of everybody's mind with his Knives Out films. Um, this is very much still very old school. There's still the formula of like, you slowly build up to the murder taking place and then Hoka Pro goes and interviews everybody. And then there's a long uh, scene where he slowly reveals what happens. Um, but yeah, I found it quite riveting. Obviously there is a slight supernatural element to it. Like is there that, that raises doubts as to whether it actually was people or whether it is potentially spirits like causing people to die in this house. Um, I think it's very well shot. Obviously uh, like it is, I don't know if they actually shot in Venice, but it definitely looks like they shot in Venice. It's got a really interesting Gothic house uh, or building that they're uh, kind of living with. Uh, very dark and brooding, like, uh, yeah, I thought it was really good. Lots of really fantastic performances. Uh, a lot smaller star-studded cast than his previous two films. Like, I think Murder on the Orient Express was like, every single person was like, a, could potentially be on a poster. <laughs> like, could be the headliner. Um, so I rewatched Murder on the Orient Express yesterday, like, in the background, just to try and catch up before I went to screening. I forgot Olivia Coleman is in that movie. It's like Judy Dench's assistant. Here's my question. If I didn't like the other two movies, this one's still going to, I'm still not going to like it. I don't think you're going to love it if you didn't like the previous two movies. It's still Hercule Poirot. It's still his style. I don't think there's enough there to change your mind on. Mm. Yeah. Um, the other thing, rewatching Murder Experience like there's a the uh, couple that were their child was murdered in the past. The father, played by Phil Dunster from Ted Lasso, crazy. Uh, well, not crazy. He's an actor. So uh, <laughs> but, yeah, not as many. Obviously, you've got uh, Michelle Yeoh, Tina Fey, Kenneth Branagh, uh, Jamie Dorman, uh, who are probably the more known actors in this bunch. But there's a lot more like character actors uh, amongst the cast, uh, which I guess kind of raises the is not it's not as obvious who potentially could be behind everything because it's not like i feel like the last couple of movies it's like oh they did it because they're the big name celebrity <laughs> you know um, army hammer's the bad guy because he eats people <laughs> <laughs> spoilers <laughs> yeah but yeah, I enjoyed it. I think you could probably watch this like completely standalone. I don't think you need to watch the previous two films. Like, um, that that's the only thing I would have I would have liked some more connective tissue. Like, there is, uh, 
there's a line about him not having or him saying he doesn't have any friends. It's like, mm, didn't you though? <laughs> if you watched the last movie, is that why he's in retirement? Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty good time. Um, definitely a different vibe, which like makes it separates it from the previous two films. Um, but yeah, I thought it was really good. Uh, over on Disney Plus, they released the second season of I'm Groot, the series of shorts featuring baby Groots going about stuff. Uh, Dylan, what did you think of season two of I'm Groot? Uh, yeah, it was good. It was just solid. It was more. It wasn't as exciting as the first season. I don't think it's anything to do with the the quality of these. It's just it was more fun the first time. Um, but yeah, it was just like binged them all, had a laugh. They were all at least solid. I think the one I actually didn't like the last one as much. Just the the whole narration by the Watcher and whatever else. I was like, I think this is just trying to be a little bit too cute for its own. Like, oh no, don't walk there. Oh, look how silly Groot is. Oh, I was like, yeah, just whatever. So I'd, I'd say that was actually the worst one. Um, I don't know what my favorite would be. That's hard, actually. I think I laughed the most at probably, I don't know, just him getting the ice cream by just like killing a bunch of people, basically. I, I assume. Like, it's pretty funny. <laughs> just blows up the entire fucking, just drives straight into the ice cream truck in space just to get an ice cream. Understandable. So, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, very enjoyable. Like, obviously, this it's the second time around. Like, we this time we knew what we were kind of expecting um, with the, the shorts. Um, I think they were even shorter this time. I feel like, like, I last like time, they're, like, yeah, four or five least... minutes. This time, it's, like, three Yeah, but more varied piece. last time. And this time, they all yeah. felt, like, just three minutes each. Very, probably. very short and, like, yeah. time condensed. Uh, my favorites... Groot's nose, uh, which I think mm. was fantastic. Groot accidentally gets a nose attached to his face, uh, and then smell. goes around. He can finally smell, <laughs> goes around smelling stuff. And let me tell you, they did not have to come at gamers that hard uh, <laughs> the way they, they do in this short. Um, but really, the, the moral of that was: if you chop your nose off, you can just go back to enjoying your pig lifestyle as, <laughs> as much as you can. Because Gro- Groot put- doesn't clean up that mess afterwards. He gets rid of that nose. He's like, it's fine now. No, that's, that's he knows the, the smell's there, but doesn't matter. <laughs> the, the preference is not to just ignore your problems. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that was really fantastic. Uh, yeah, so check those out on Disney Plus. Uh, Dylan, you watched the movie, uh, Korean film. I saw the Devil. Yeah, um, I've been wa- I've been wanting to watch this for a while. I kept putting it off. Um, I think it's one of these films I kept putting off for years, to be honest, because A, I'd heard it was like really intense and it was like two and a half hours. And I was like, I don't know, two and a half hour, like subtitled intense film. I gotta, just gotta line that one up right, sort of thing. Um, the short of this is you've got, it stars uh, Choi, Choi Min Sik. Well, it's actually weird to say he stars because he's the bad guy, but he, he basically is the star. Um, and he's the, most people know him as uh, Old Boy from the original Old Boy. Um, and he's a serial killer and the movie starts with him like, like kidnapping this girl, like fucking torturing her, um, and then like leaving her body parts. And then turns out the girl is this, uh, is the police chief's, uh, daughter. And she was also engaged to, uh, Lee Byung-hun's character, who is like a secret service agent or some shit like that. It was, it was all a bunch of people like, she's, 
she's the daughter of a police chief and she's married like if you're about to be married like secret service anyway um then it, it, it turns into a, like a revenge thriller where the the dad and the uh, the fiance want to get tracked down the serial killer that the cops aren't able to track down and like get revenge. So he he sets out and he manages to find him. And like this is none of this is a spoiler because this all happens like within the first forty minutes of the movie. Because what ends up happening is he does this like um, basically a catch and release game to fuck with him. Like he wants to like get the most revenge he possibly can. Like he finds him, he like beats the living fuck out of him. You know, like hurts him a lot. And then lets him go, and then puts a tracker in him, and then he's like stalking him, like to to like the the morality of the film becomes like what happens when you like go down the, when you go down a path like this, like what happens to you, like and, and is revenge a best you know it would be like is revenge a, a dish best served cold, like will you ever walk away like happy and all this sort of thing? Um, it is quite intense. Uh, it has a lot of like fucked up. Like there are a lot of scenes with quite a lot of blood um, and stuff like that. It's not a horror movie. It's definitely just a very intense crime thriller, I guess. Um, my only downside is the length. There's de- it definitely could have 100% been tightened up uh, to get it under, like, or probably closer easily to the two hour mark. And at two and a half hours, it definitely does drag um, through some scenes that I was just like, you're just like, no, I appreciate a filmmaker that's like, you can tell it's just def- probably been told like but this needs to be tightened up and it's like my vision's my vision you know whatever but um the and then the other thing i didn't love is as much as troy min Sik's character is a completely fucked up villain and he is fantastic in this like i already know he's a great actor he's like one of um the i guess one of the greatest like foreign actors i don't know is if that is a, is that a thing you can even fucking like but um or at least like south korea or korean i guess actors there we go probably one of the best korean actors um he is really really good and there's like a lot of character to him like and not even a good way it's just a lot of character to creating this this villain you see a lot of him um you see him talk to other people you see him like interact with people he's basically the the joker to this guy's batman i guess but the guy's batman the main character who's on the hunt um he's just there's not much to him and i guess that's like done on purpose like all you do is like you meet him at the start of the movie you find out he is like a sweet enough guy there's a scene at the start where he's like singing on the phone to his partner who's like waiting because the reason that his partner gets killed the the girls because she her car breaks down and she's waiting for a tow truck to come and then old mate turns up and fucking kidnaps her but um while she's like talking to him on the phone and like that's the only moment you really get to see any sort of personality to this dude apart from straight after that where he's just suddenly on a, a one-man mission to to seek revenge um there is a moment towards the end of the film like once he sort of it's all over where he shows more but yeah that was only it but yeah i really really enjoyed it i can understand why people consider it one of the the greatest thrillers to come out like it's in a lot of people's greatest thrillers to come out over the last like sort of you know the 2010s or whatever so um, yeah, deservingly so. Really, I, I enjoyed it. All right. Uh, so I finished watching After Party Season 2. Of course, this is the murder mystery show um, where each episode kind of has the suspects retelling their versions of the events of the After Party the night before, but they, each episode is kind of like a different genre. Um, yeah. 
I love the first season. Season two, I think, is just as good. Um, the cast is so fantastic. Um, yeah, I don't don't want to say too much. I feel like again, the sad, the the resolution of the story is super satisfying. Um, really enjoyed like the recurring characters as Monique and uh, uh, Zoe, uh, as well as Tiffany Haddish back as Detective Dana. Um, I feel like this season there was like. like Oh no! I guess last season there was a lot of in between the retellings. There was a lot of stuff going on in the current timeline. Um, but yeah, I, without saying too much, After Party season two, really good. Everybody should keep go watch it on Apple TV Plus. Let's move into the mandatory Netflix segment of the show. Uh, and the only thing I watched on Netflix was the documentary Scouts Honor: uh, The Secret Files of the Boy Scouts of America. Um, which kind of details the scout, Boy Scouts' long history of uh, doing nothing in the face of uh, sexual assaults and uh, male grooming and um, that kind of stuff. Um, so it's interestingly positioned where they the interviewers are interviewing the uh, a long time like uh, police officer who did a lot of these dealing with a lot of uh sexual assault like with children with minor cases he's brought into the boy scouts to like kind of clean up and like make the boy scouts look like they're perfectly good at like dealing with all this kind of stuff and like he is like stopped at every point he wants to try and make uh changes or improvements or like just information about what the boy scouts have been doing to stop like what protections the boy scout companies like put in place uh, to stop uh, the children being put in danger. Um, and then the documentary just proceeds to like give you case after case after case of uh, children who are detailing their sexual abuse stories. Um, it is a very hard watch. Like a lot of these, obviously these kids uh, going into the Boy Scouts and like being attacked by Scoutmasters, by other kids who are also part of the Scouts, by um, like camp counselors and that kind of stuff. It's very messed up story. Um, which ultimately comes to, I think what reading here, 82,000 people came forward, uh, to seek, uh, damages against the boy scouts, uh, in the last couple of years. Um, so this kind of like expresses all the stories and like a lot of them coming forward, not so much because of the money, but to like talk about how, widespread this issue is and how like uh removing a lot of the stigma against um men who are being attacked in this way and stuff um the man the current head of the boy scouts it's like comes across like a fucking piece of shit like uh he's he's trying his best to like you know play the total line and like be uh try and paint his organization in the best light possible currently but man he just he comes off like a prick um, so yeah, just a, a very disturbing, uh, recounting of like, um, what happens with the Boy Scouts over the last, like, it, it's an institution in America, like it's known everywhere, but they had pretty much no protection in place to stop, uh, assaulters from being part of the organization. So, uh, if that sounds like something you want to watch, hear about uh, Scouts Honors is currently playing on Netflix. 
Uh, and yeah, that's all. Everything I watched the stream. Let's move into a bit of film news. And the big story this week uh, comes from a Vulture article called uh, Rotten Tomatoes: uh, the, decomp- the decomposition of Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, to break it down, pretty much um, in a damning piece, reading from Screen Hub, in a damning piece by Vulture journalists Lane Brown and Luke Winky. It was revealed that review aggregate site Rotten Tomatoes has been compromised by a US-based PR firm that pays writers to submit more positive, sales-friendly film reviews. Bunker 15, the firm in question, would pay film critics 50 US dollars or more for review and prioritize sending the more positive ones to Rotten Tomatoes in a seeming attempt to bump up the aggregate score for films they manage. The practice reportedly went on for over five years. One film, 2018's Ophelia, starring Daisy Ridley, did you ever watch that one, Dylan? Uh, Do you even remember it? No, yeah, I remember the trailer, but I, I never watched it, no. I remember seeing uh, the, the trailer, like, yes. So rose from an initial aggregate rotten score of 46% to a fresh 62%. After such, incentivized reviews were added to the site. Rotten Tomatoes denies knowing anything about this apparent manipulation, reiterating in the vulture piece that they prohibited reviewing based on financial incentive. Um, in... in Light of this, uh, Rotten Tomatoes has since removed a number of Bunker 15 films from its site and sent a warning to writers who viewed them. They quoted in Vulture saying, We take the integrity of our scores seriously and do not tolerate any attempts to manipulate them. We have a dedicated team who monitor our platforms regularly and thoroughly investigate and resolve any suspicious activity. Uh, Dylan, what are your thoughts on this story? <laughs> it's like 50 bucks, really? Yeah, I Best feel work. like, yeah, um, I don't know. It's uh, is that all it took? <laughs> yeah, I I don't, I don't get it. Uh, yeah, it's it's a bit weird. Obviously, it's it's a uh, it's it's a tale of two sides, which is a the the bar is so low for people getting money in this like side of the industry where it's like there's five percent five percent of real like IGN like uh, you know like Vulture what like proper paid sites, and then there's like. 95 percent that are like between these other places to us and all those ones are sort of willing to take the extra extra buck and um then you've got the fact that rotten tomatoes and metacritic and all these places are such benchmarks and the the care factor for them has been like quadrupled over the years to the point that now everything relies on them and um in the movie industry in the game industry like people's bonuses and stuff are affected by where films and games land and all these ridiculous things that should not matter um to how much people get paid and um that's how you you, all these things bundle up together and then insert this yeah uh yeah it's definitely an interesting story like um it's again it's not the other wrinkle to it is it's not necessarily that they said they'd get fifty dollars to write a positive review they'll pay fifty dollars to write a review about the movie and you know if you didn't like the movie maybe you could put it on this other this other page that doesn't affect the rotten review rotten tomato <laughs> score you know which again super shady but you know it's the second not- you start taking money to write reviews it's yeah if once you take money to incentivize you to write a review like unless Unless it's like a dummy review, I guess. Like, if you get paid, oh yeah, that, like that, yeah. that. That's fine. The people are paid to do review, like, but they're just solely for the the internal. company's internal review. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it definitely gets a bit very shady. Um. 
yeah, it's just it. It's interesting, like that's just this for the Vulture article. That's just the starting point for talking about Rotten Tomatoes and how much of an influence is currently got on everything and like the world. How much uh, studios want, are trying to game the system? I guess like, um, and how much it factors into uh, a certain audience's um, wanting to go see films. Like, um, I, it's interesting because it was only like what two or three weeks ago we were talking about this same subject, um, and things have kind of weirdly changed. Uh, but you know, do we still think Rotten Tomatoes is? like a benchmark thing does it do we feel like it the average movie goer really cares about what the Rotten Tomatoes score is uh when they go out and watch pretty like some mediocre movies making a bunch of money at I was the thinking box about office. this in retrospect I realized afterwards that although it's not Rotten Tomatoes someone like my dad for instance he doesn't mm. go to Rotten Tomatoes but he uses Just Watch a lot right and yep. I'll witness him scroll through Just Watch and look at recently added movies. And for whatever reason, they have the user IMDb score listed next to a lot mm. of the movies. And so does the Google Play Store or somewhere else. I've seen him scroll around a lot. And he'll quite often be like, oh, this thing's only got 3.4. Must be shit. So, like, it's like maybe that's not an example of Rotten Tomatoes. But yes, I do think that these scores wherever you put them, no one ever looks into where that, because I'll try to explain to him, I'll be like, it's a fucking user score. Like, just ignore it. It doesn't matter. It's nothing. Don't pay any attention it's... to user scores. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think the problem across the board is like the scorification of everything. Everything needs to have a value um, of some kind. Like, can you really score art, I guess, is the question. Uh, that we don't want to delve into. Yeah, we don't want to delve into too far. Should we score art is the thing that we should delve into. Uh, we do, shouldn't want to too much because we score. Yeah, stuff. well, in a, in, a, in another world, I would happily come up with a... I wish we could just come up with a fun scale that means nothing except for to us. But to play and get into this world, I know that having a 10-point scale increases our chances of stuff exponentially so i will not change yep. it like i i accept i accept the that's that's the, the way it is and i gotta play ball yeah um the other takeaway from screen hubs recap um that kind of raised discussion in our group chat uh the the raised question are critics bought in australia too uh they write the Situation described in Vulture is entirely US specific. That doesn't rule out the possibility that positive reviews are being brought, bought in Australia too. From this rise perspective, it's been alarming to see the rise of TikTok stars, YouTube celebrities, and other social media influencers packing out film previews that are typically reserved for critics alone. Uh, in my opinion, the business of being a film critic is one that requires passion, skill, and a robust education, whether that be from a top university, the multi neighborhood multiplex, or an extensive media library on the family PC, it doesn't matter. It's an opinion-based profession, sure, which eliminates the need for objectivity, but being in the business of subjectivity it still requires integrity at a minimum. If you don't like a film, tell people you don't like it. If you do like a film, tell them that you tell them you like it. Uh, Nadine Whitley freelance film critic said uh, we're living in a time where legitimate film critical voices are being drowned out by influencers and niche celebrity endorsements. It's reprehensible that there are certain review influencers out there 
use their social media impact to push for a certain film regardless of quality. I'm not sure how the opinion of random persons from Married at First Sight factors into a critical conversation. Uh, Dylan, what are your thoughts on influencers impacting? I uh, know. How does this impact Rotten Tomatoes? This, to me, this felt like a very weird deflecting when the question is, what's the what's up with film critics being paid to write reviews? Well, the, the, the relation is, it's nothing to do with Rotten Tomatoes. The relation is just people being paid to give positive reviews. And the the side tangent brought in is that influencers are quite often paid to do positive press that are then twisted by the film PR companies or the companies themselves into positive review-like things, you know? Like, maybe they do a TikTok and at the very bottom of the spiel it says hashtag sponsored, but then the company's retweeting or reposting that TikTok and no one reads that far and they they go, oh, this influencer I love is saying that this movie's fantastic. Or maybe they don't even put sponsored. Maybe they just take the fucking free invite and they get sucked in because they're uh, a 19-year-old fucking influencer and they they take all these pictures on the the red carpet and they say oh my god this is the movie it's the best thing ever and they feel like they have to say that because they're young and they have no idea that they're able to have a critical consensus on something and just because they're invited to a, a movie premiere that they could actually still be negative about it doesn't actually affect anything but they always say positive things because they feel like they have to and not having but, voices but I, the part of the article like that no, well, they could they like could it. have, but I never see influencers talk talk shit about. When's the last time you ever saw an influencer take a picture and go, "Man, the movie was bad"? Never have I ever seen that. I've never seen an influencer say a movie was bad. An influencer always says the movie is good, no matter what. Yeah, because they just don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the part of the article they're saying. They're saying because they they're not getting on a high like it start that sentence starts off and you think it's going to go. I when I started reading it, like uh, film criticism requires blah 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 blah. But I was like, oh, don't go down this road of saying you need a fucking degree or something. But they don't. They just say you need to have a passion for film to do film criticism or whatever, and be that an actual educ or simply you've you watched a fuck ton of movies growing up right i watched a fuck ton of movies growing up and i continue to watch a fuck ton of movies there's my education motherfucker you know so do i feel like i can have an opinion on movies yeah because i've watched like thousands of the fucking things you know that's my that's my that's my two cents so if you and then the ability to have an opinion is a skill it like takes like the ability the 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 um the bowls the kahunas whatever you want to call it to go to a pre like to get invited to a movie and then still say it was shit is something that is required if if you're going to have a public platform and be considered a any sort of movie review and the problem is is you'll be like oh these these people be like oh but they're not actually movie reviewers they're not writing anything they're not doing anything but they'll film their little tiktok lives or whatever and they'll start and go well here's my little review on the fucking movie i thought it was fantastic i'm not a reviewer I'm like, well, you just said you was doing a review. And you've just influenced a bunch of people to say it's great. You'd never say it was shit. You may think it was shit, but you're not going to say it was shit. So, yeah, I do think that. And you, you go to these fucking premieres. You would see yep. all these influences there. Yep. And I read about other people tweeting. I follow enough people at film, that um, enough Australian film critics that I see people subtweeting about the decline in people at uh, Australian film premieres um like film premieres in australia or film screenings in australia where the majority of people there who are actually wanting to do film criticism 
or write about films with some um we'll talk about them either or even, even do a 20 minute youtube video that's actually, that's actually chris I'm, i don't want to delegate it solely to, to, to writing but like an actual like opinionated f- form of whatever you're doing um compared to the 70 percent of the rest of the audience is invited so they can take a picture in front of the fancy poster with the pizza at the fucking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles premiere and posted on their social media profile and say, thank you so much for my pictures. Bah, bah, bah. The movie's fantastic. And that's it. That's it all was I mean. fantastic. Teenage it could have been fantastic, fantastic, but they wouldn't say it wasn't, is the point. <laughs> they always don't know. Say it's Maybe good. they just like everything. They just that's like moving pictures on the screen. <laughs> you cannot have, if you like everything, you are not a fucking, you have no voice. You're a fucking wow. sheep. You're a doll. You're lifeless. You're nobody. You're pointless. You shouldn't be like, (laughs) it's fine. My fucking mum loves everything, right? Would I trust her opinion on anything? No. Well, then it's it's the, you know, the person who's watching that's, you know, they know that this person likes everything. Then why are they holding their opinion on movies? This isn't isn't just a film thing. This is a general, the whole world thing. (laughs) But like in this topic of misogyny, we are focusing on film, but it is, yeah, this is everything. This is this is the the world of everything from fucking people who used to talk about books <laughs> to fucking film and games and whatever has just been overrun as the as the the world slowly turns and you're going to get to a point where the only people getting invited here's the thing what happens when you stop getting invites and everyone you know no, apart from that. I that. <laughs> and then everyone fucking the only there's only ten. 10 the 10 biggest fucking proper movie critics getting invited to these and then the other 90 percent is just all fucking instagram tiktok influencers and stuff like that and that's the way the world goes so now the only the only opinions quote-unquote or first impressions quote-unquote coming out of these screenings is a bunch of people who are always going to say they love it because they never want to piss off the company because they want to they want to get their free shit and they want to go to these events because they have to go to the events because that's how they get the fucking they, they need that lifestyle they need to always be somewhere and doing something and posting cool pictures. <laughs> Fucking hashtag. Fuck off. I mean, we started, Ash. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you was doing? I, this I do. Up? Just build <laughs> runtime. Uh, no, uh, no, I totally get it. I fit, you know, I feel like it's definitely a two way street. Like obviously the PR firms, they want these people going out there, showing their pictures, photos taking the pictures on the premieres like showcasing the movie getting the name of the films out there um you know that would necessarily film critics would not be able to do they have a smaller the flash is the best superhero movie ever fuck off you haven't even watched no that's that's to make fun of that's fair uh i definitely (laughs) feel uh i definitely get the impression there's some angst uh, from at least a couple of screenings I've gone to, like of between the the film critics and the the influence, well, at least from the film critic side, I think there's a bit of you know, they there's certain people who uh get under the skin. I think of some of the film critics I've seen, like I I don't really interact with many other film critics here. You don't with, interact just, with people. Full stop. Yeah, yeah. I mean yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, because I know. yeah, but Fine. it's a, it's a little bit clicky. Um, that's a, I feel like that's the thing. There's there's a group. Um. But, you know, they're, they're, I've seen certain people who, like, very much... There is one person in particular who shows up to every single screen premiere with the sh- T-shirt of the of the studio who's making the movie, which is, like, 
weird objectively. <laughs> like, I'm sure their opinions are totally fine. They, they <laughs> give you your true thoughts. <laughs> but I also don't think you should the you know, it it the way I when I read the first read of the article, I felt like it was a little bit uh you know, elitist, the way they were talking about uh I don't think these previews should be for critics alone. None of these influencers should be showing up to these things. Rah, rah, rah. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's an interesting discussion. Obviously, you know, it I, is I, a necessary. I don't think evil. it comes off elitist, and I don't think that all screenings should be. I don't think influencers shouldn't be invited to to screenings. Full stop. I just think that the the percentage. I mean, the, the other thing that, was you're talking about these Rotten Tomatoes approved critics, so people who've actually done. What what's the criteria? Two years of work for a publication that's not self-published, um, consistent reviews that gets approved by Rotten Tomatoes, and then they take the fifty dollars uh, to bump these these reviews up. And you're like, it's the influencers a problem, you know? It's not gun control; it's mental health issues. That's the problem. No, I, f- I, I think you've taken <laughs> the, the. I think you've taken the, the. It's so I think you've read the article completely different to me. I took the article as, hey, this thing inspired me to have this thought. And I'm put. I, I, and I wrote this article where you've taken the article as like it directly relates to the article that inspired it. I don't think it has. They're not talking about mm. rotten tomatoes at all. They're just. It's just like the first paragraph is, "Hey, this thing's been happening in America. Hey, let me talk about this other thing that's uh, sort sort of related to reviews and stuff." I mean, it says here our critics bought in Australia too. So yeah, it's just a headline. That's literally what's above the section I read about influencers. Yeah. And the answer is yes, but not not, <laughs> not 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 in the way they're talking about with fifty bucks. Our critics. So you but tell me if a fucking if a influencer, if a TikToker is invited to the premiere of something like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and then they film a fucking TikTok and they say this is the best movie ever, and they don't claim <laughs> they don't claim to be a reviewer or anything. But then Paramount chooses to use this movie is the best fucking thing ever and put it on the poster and credit to them, like sort of thing. Are they or are they not? Like, is there not like a, a, a we just a slippery slope there? I guess it depends on how they credit it. Like, uh, you know, you could pull like I'm sure many studios just pull audience scores reviews. They do, like, and, and stick it's them on fucking stuff. dumb. Okay. <laughs> Or now audiences are allowed to have opinions. Audiences are dumb. (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's move on to the continuing on the writer strike. And the biggest development this week, Drew Barrymore announces talk show return amid strikes. Um, So apparently she's going back to work without her three WJA writers on board. Uh, Apparently... Drew Barrymore is all right to actually host the show herself because in her position, she is on a different contract than her uh, Afra, SAG-AFTRA contract. Uh, but this move has pissed off pretty much the entire Writers Guild uh, to the extent where obviously they were picking in front of the show today. Um, two audience members accepted uh, Writers Guild's uh, strike badges as they were going in uh, and were kicked out of the studio for wearing those badges inside the audience. Um, not much to, else to say here, but it, I mean, it's interesting because obviously, when again, when you think about Writers Guild, 
you're not thinking of talk shows like the Drew Barrymore show, or I think the talk is about to come back as well, or those kind of shows. But again, they are have writers, people write stuff, the opening monologues, like different, like the interstitials between different segments. Um, but yeah, this is bad, very bad PR for Drew Barrymore, who has become, who over the last couple of years has become arguably one of the bigger talk show hosts. Uh, daytime talk show hosts, at least in America, I feel like she'd become see... one of the, the biggest talk show hosts, and also considered more one of the like down. Well, she's earth. just filling the void that Ellen left I when guess, yeah. it revealed her problems. Yeah, but now, yeah, I just, I, I actually sort of hope. I don't know. I sort of hope that this all just gets turned around. Hopefully, this is the end. I hope Drew Barrymore just, puts just her like... foot down. You know how so. <laughs> Well, it's just... hard because, again, she. I feel the, it's pretty clear the reason she's going back is because she's got a whole entire crew that also needs to be paid and needs to work, uh, not just the writers, you know. That's um, fine, but put her foot down and say, I don't know, get those people who kicked out back in. I think, well, apparently she didn't know anything about it. it was oh, like I'm sure she didn't. Over the top security. Yeah. I'm sure, um, but still, she can. She's would have heard about it by now. It's all over the fucking internet. So yeah, I think they've offered yeah. to give them new tickets or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's very weird. There's <laughs> absolutely again, no reason you cannot do the talk show, and if you want to do it right and return without your writers while still supporting those writers, like there's there's no reason. No, well, no, no. The the only reason is because you're on the the network wouldn't want you to, but to find it. Drew Barrymore. <laughs> so, what do you think the solution to the situation is? I think they should be making, um, they should be supporting the the strike on the show. How? I don't know. Mention it every episode. <laughs> okay. There you go. Every episode starts with "Hey, our writing team's not Fuck working on the company. show. <laughs> um, hopefully, the studio pays them. We're continuing on because you know other people need to get paid. Cameraman needs his." needs has got a, has got a kid yeah anyway hey i'm drew barrymore and my my guest today is no actors because they can't no writers because they can't <laughs> oh it's elmo <laughs> uh yeah and then the other news uh in a long expected move uh a bunch of the studios have started to suspend uh a lot of the overall deals that they've signed uh, so on the evening of the 7th, a flurry of headlines confirmed that Warner Brothers Television Group has suspended their deals and several others that remained quietly active during the Writers Guild strike uh, began in early May. Uh, the news came as a shock to some who hadn't realized a cadre of TV's biggest names was still drawing a paycheck and harbinger of coming pain for others. Sources across the studio and streaming landscape predict more suspensions will come, largely in the non-writing uh, executive producer ranks in the weeks ahead. As one studio exec put it, Warner Brothers just gave everyone cover. We've been waiting for someone else to go first. Uh, to be sure, the first wave of suspensions came in the spring and by all accounts were swift and extensive, included the vast majority of pure writer deals and many overall produ- overalls from Mike Schur and Sam Esmail to Chuck Law and John Wells. More recent suspensions include Pack for Dad Fogelman, Dan Levy, Donald Glover, Lisa Joy, and Jonah Nolan. Um, so again, uh, studios kind of taking advantage of the situation and kind of like cutting as many costs as they can, even though they're kind of obligated to to pay these writers for their overall deals. So, uh, 
yeah, it, it's rough. And you see the continued stories of like uh, a bunch of people in LA being unable to pay for their homes of rent and like trying to get rent uh, help and that kind of stuff. It's uh, the studio, soon the studios just play ball, the better, even though, you know, it, they don't want to. It's, it's, it's the thing I saw the past week. Well, I think it's between last week and this week. Um, what's what film festival was on? Um, Dennis Telluride. Yeah, so Toronto. just the, the fact that old mate Adam Driver's up there and being able to up there and you know yeah, sp- speak about um Ferrari and also speak about and support the strike and it's just like it's it's just wild that Neon and A twenty four these these small studios are just like yeah that's fair cool we'll get on with our life <laughs> like it's, it's just well I think the other story <laughs> that came out this week is like the Riders Guild by K. Studios, why don't you just break from the AMPTP? We'll direct deal with you individually. Yeah, it's like because that that union, the the motion producers union, like, yeah, how are you supposed to all agree on the same thing when they all kind of are trying to do different things? Yeah, yeah. It, it just doesn't seem like something could work. It's like such a big industry, and it's like of of different people and whatever in, in america and such a yeah such a big massive money making industry it's like me and my brother are in different fucking unions and we both work in retail so like mm. yeah the fuck? <laughs> yeah it's uh it's sad this is still still ongoing at this point in time so hopefully soon let's move to giving some thumbs to trailers you'll find all the trailers that we're talking about this week in the show notes below uh starting off with Nyad. Directed by Elizabeth Chai, Vessa Hiley, and Jimmy Chin. Uh, starring Annette Benning, Jodie Foster, and Reese Iffins. 64-year-old marathon swimmer Diana Nyad attempts to become the first person ever to swim from Cuba to Florida. Dylan, what do you think of the trailer for Nyad? Double thumbs up. Looks great. I'm ready for Annette Benning to get an Oscar. Does she not have one? I don't think so. <laughs> uh... Yeah, I think this looks really good. Obviously, it's being it's directed by the team behind Free Solo and The Rescue. Um, so, like, they come from a pre- predominantly like a uh, uh, documentary background, but they know how to shoot nature and that kind of stuff well. Um, so, you know, for a film that's predominantly in the water, uh, that's kind of helpful. Um, yeah, just looks like really great performances from Annette Belling and Jodie Foster. Um, the, all the water stuff looks really good, like like that crazy storm that's in the trailer. Mm. Um, and then they've got, like, sure, they've got some, like, weird visual, like, dream sequence stuff, it looks like. Um, but, yeah, that looks um, really good. Four Oscar no- uh four... Four noms. Four noms, no wins. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Looks really good. So, uh, two thumbs up from me. It is coming to select theaters on the 19th of October and then to Netflix on the 3rd of November. Next trailer is for Quiz Lady, directed by Jessica Yu, starring Sandra O, Aquafina, Jason Schwartzman, Tony Hale, Holland Taylor, and Will Ferrell. And a tightly wound game show obsessed woman must come together with a chaotic sister, Jenny, in order to help pay off their mother's gambling debts. When Anne's beloved dog is kidnapped, they will set off on a cross-country journey in order to get the money they need. In order to do so, they will have to tap into Anne's skill set 
by turning into a game show champion she was always meant to be. So, what do you think of the trailer for Quiz Lady? Uh, I'll go double thumbs up on this. I thought it looked pretty funny. I, um, I'm keen to see Sandra O oh in such a wild and wacky role for her. I don't think she's ever done anything quite like this. And um, Jason Schwartzman in that one little scene he has in this looks just <laughs> ultra slimy, which is which was <laughs> looks funny. Will Ferrell looks like he's Will Ferrell. Uh, Aquafina doesn't look like she's doing her typical Aquafina thing, which is at least somewhat different there. Um, yeah, so I'll get double, double thumbs up. Looks look good. Uh, this is one up, one down for me. Uh, I like the concept, but yeah, there was I didn't it didn't elicit any laughs or chuckles. The entire you know time. why? It's because it's probably too much awkward comedy for you. That that probably factors into it, but yeah. uh, you know, she said cocaine the, in a public place. <laughs> it was stevia. Jeez. Oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, so this is coming to Disney Plus on the third of November. Next trailer is for. The Royal Hotel, directed by Kitty Green, starring Julia Garner, Jessica Henwick, Toby Wallace, Hugo Weaving. Americans Hannah and Liv are best friends backpacking in Australia. After they run out of money, Liv, looking for adventure, convinces Hannah to take a temporary live-in job behind the par of a pub called the Royal Hotel in a remote outback mining town. Bar owner Billy and a host of locals give the girls a riotous introduction to down-under drinking culture, but soon Hannah and Liv find themselves trapped in an unnerving situation that grows rapidly out of their control. Dylan, what do you think of this film set in Australia? Try it, mate. Um, yeah, double thumbs up. Looks great. Can't wait. Um, I really liked uh, Kitty Green's last film, The Sister, or whatever it was called. Yeah, that one, uh, which also starred Julie Garner. So... Um, Jessica Henwick, keen to see her get hopefully more of a spotlight in this because yeah, obviously she's sort of one of the most I think underrated actresses at the moment. Um, lots of Australian little 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 names and stuff I was spotting throughout the trailer and stuff like this that which was cool to see. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm keen. I think it looks really good. Neon doing a uh, Neon releasing a a movie in Australia that's about uh, you know super machistic. Uh, Australian men in a fucking bar life. Yep, sounds about right. Yeah, this is a two thumbs up trailer. I have no, I have no desire to watch this. Uh, yeah, um, just a really put well put together trailer. Like, and it kind of shows what the film is going to be about without giving too much away. Um, yeah, the two girl leads look fantastic. Uh, it definitely looks like an Australian outback bar. Um, like <laughs> holding up the gold cans it's like oh, i know what that is <laughs> i know what kind of beer that is um but yeah another fantastic job promoting australia uh, you, can just, you can just hear it hang on down hang yeah. on down yeah <laughs> Fucking... yeah i'm excited to see toby wallace who was uh in baby teeth he looks really good in this uh, as the mean menacing like lead kind of dude um but yeah, again, not great for Australian tourism, probably, you know, in my mind. It actually mind, is, because this is, this is this, Wolf Creek. This, yeah, that's the one. I was like, <laughs> this is like Wolf Creek, except, you know, about the actual people. Yeah, and that, but that was really good for Australian tourism. People wanted to well, come here. Get murdered. Yeah. People but the, the thing is, the, the biggest Australian films always seem to be ones that are set in the middle of nowhere, fucking Outback. 
And then people go, that's crazy. Let's go visit those places. And then they, they get the, the fucking plane takes them from uh, California to Atlanta, Sydney. And they're like, whoa, there's a city here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so there is currently no Australian release date. Um, but it was released in the US on 6th of October. Yeah, so Neon won't put it out here, which is fucked. No, so it's being uh, released by Transmissions Films here. Okay, Transmission Films, that makes more sense. It'll, it'll get released here. It's a yeah. Transmission story, so that's fine. We'll see, it'll be interesting to see in the Australian reaction to this bit. I think it's fine. No one's, no one's going to care. Australians, we're, 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 Australia loves making... To be fair, Kitty Green, Australian, so... To, yeah. You know, from our own a, a, yeah. no, the, the 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 Australians who are going to watch this movie is going to be very minimal. It's not going to be Australians... the people who are actually um, yes. like the people. No, no, yeah, because those people don't watch Australian films. In fact, Australians hate watching Australian films. It's a well-known fact. Australia hates supporting its own film industry. <laughs> All right. Uh, next trailer is for Relax from the Future, directed by Luke Higginson, starring Reese Darby, Gabrielle Graham, Janine Terolts, and Julian Richings. A man from the future, now trapped in the past, tries to make a life for himself, oblivious to the consequences he has set in motion. Dylan, what did you think of this time travel movie? Uh, I'm going to one up my dad. I really liked the the premise and everything like that. I just thought it was a bit of a messy trailer. Uh, but otherwise, the you know, Reese Darby and anything's probably going to be good by just him being in it. Um yeah, I, I just felt like the trailer was a bit messy and um, just just edited weird. But um, overall, I, I'd still be keen to check it out for sure. Yeah, I agree. It's a one-up, one-down. Um, interesting premise. I do enjoy every Starby. Um, the joke about multiple timelines is funny. At the uh, end. At That's the dumb. End. That's yeah. stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's... Not exactly clear what the storyline is, but um, I would be excited to find out. So, yeah. Uh, this one, no Australian release date, sets release in the US on the 22nd of September. Last trailer for this week The Bike Riders, directed by Jeff Nichols, starring Jodie Comer, Austin Butler, Tom Hardy, Michael Shannon, Mike Feist, and Norman Reedus. Of course, he is. Uh, mm. Kathy, a strong-willed member of the Vandals who is married to a wild, reckless bike rider named Benny, recounts the Vandals' evolution over the course of a decade, beginning as a local club of outsiders united by good times, rumbling bikes, and respect for their strong, steady leader, Johnny. Over the years, Kathy tries her best to navigate her husband's untamed nature and his allegiance to Johnny, with whom she feels she must compete for Benny's affection, or Benny's attention. As life in the Vandal gets more dangerous and the club threatens to become a more sinister gang, Kathy, Benny, and Johnny are forced to make choices about their loyalty to the club and to each other. Uh, I believe this was at Venice? No. Yeah, Venice. Tearful, Telluride, one of them, uh, and got very positive reviews. Dylan, what did you think of the trailer for Bike Riders? Double thumbs up. I'm keen. I uh, I think the cast all looks really, really good. You've got um, Tom Hardy doing an accent again for some reason. But anyway, I'm, I'm assuming it will be good. Well, he's British. And this is yeah, sure. So he yeah, has to do sure. some sort of accent. <laughs> it's just such a very specific accent. I'm like, <laughs> whatever though. Uh, Jodie Comer looks really, really good in the trailer. Austin She's Butler, also doing an accent. She's very much doing an accent, but I'll, I'll deal with it. Um, Austin Butler looks like he's still just playing Elvis, to be honest, but <laughs> I'll, I'll deal with it. Um, a lot of other bit players in this that I'm keen to see, including um, uh, aforementioned Norman Reedus on a bike, but not, <laughs> but like 
hopefully doing something a little bit different. But I mean, like you still got Damon Harriman in, in this and the Boyd Hoybook Ho- and a few other people that I think could yeah. be cool standouts. Michael Shannon as a biker, I think would be um, cool to see. You get like one second of him in the trailer in the first couple seconds of it. Uh, but yeah, double thumbs up. I'm, I'm keen for sure. Yeah, two thumbs up from me. This looks fantastic. Um, I haven't watched any of Jeff Nichols' stuff before, but I might have to watch something, probably. Because, uh, you know, I hear all these movies are really great. Um, this It kind of felt like it feels like a biker gang Goodfellas is what I'm kind of getting the impression of. Obviously, with, like, Jodie Comer kind of being interviewed in present day or, like, in the future, uh, retelling the events of of what happened in her and kind of narrating everything. Um, yeah, looks really fantastic. Um, definitely keen to check this one out. This is releasing on 16th of November. What I need, so I've watched, um, I was just looking to see if there's any, so I've watched Mud, which is good. Um, that was like Sorry. a movie. There is currently no Australian release date. <laughs> I've got, read that wrong. Oh, no Australian. Yeah, there will be shortly. Um, but yeah, so Mud was really good. Uh, I remember watching Midnight Special when it came out, but honestly, I can't mm. remember too much about it other than the, the core premise. What I completely forgot about is that he did Loving, which I remember being really wanting to watch, and then it must have slipped past my mind or something because I never actually got around to watching it. So um, that was the... Uh, yeah, I might have to go watch Loving now that this has reminded me mm. about that film. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, so reiterate, no Australian release date, releasing it in the US, 1st of September. Uh, 1st of December. Yeah. Uh, Come out here 1st of move. January, I betcha. Probably, like if it is a genuine Oscar contender. Mm. Uh, Alright, let's move into this week's top three. Definitely in the top three. And because there's a haunting in Venice, this week's top three... Top three movie cities. When you posted this last night, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, Top th- top three cities in film. Really pushing it these last couple of weeks, I feel. <laughs> like, oh, top what, three. Like stretching, the, oh. S- stretching how close it is to the subject matter. Yeah. <laughs> is that what the issue is? I think so. Like, yeah. Or is it too difficult? No. All right. Uh, Dylan, what's your number three? This is a difficult one. This is I just went with whatever. I tried to get a bit of vary. But I mean there's just so many. I feel like we'll have a like, pretty strong heavy left in this one. I don't think so, because I, I didn't I don't feel like I, I went with I, I I maybe one, but I, I highly doubt it, especially once I say my number three. Number three, Orlando from the Florida Project. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I really liked this is probably one of my like of the movies I've watched the last couple of years that I'd never watched upon release. The Florida Project probably continues to be one of the ones that, like, if I'd watched that release, I probably would have rode, rode that motherfucker in, into the stardom of being one of my favorite movies of that year. Because um, it's utterly fantastic. And I just loved its depiction of, like, because the whole movie is literally just about these, these you know, it's the, it's the poor people. <laughs> like, the, not like meanly, but it is the fucking lower class poor people living in these fucking hotels and stuff like that. But they're like 10 minutes down the road from Disney World, you know? Like, it's just, it's such a class dichotomy and like such a good picture. And I know other movies do it well for like, you know, like Los Angeles, the, gl- the glamour, but then the homeless, you know, like all these sorts of things. But I just thought it was such a 
um, especially when you watch the movie and the way it, it like sort of brings Disney World into it towards the end of the movie because it, it really has nothing to do with Disney World. But once like once you like add it all up and you're like it's f- sort of fucked that like this is happening. Um, it's like such a good depiction of that. So um, just gave me a really good like feel for that sort of those people living in the lower cast of mm. that city. Yeah, interesting mm. how you interpreted. <laughs> The top three. Yeah, I was like, my- I, I guarantee, I was, I was like, there's no way I interpret this the way you. No, want. no, no, no it's be probably like, my, it's my fault. It's you're like, gonna be like Gotham like- City and fucking. No, 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 no. <laughs> I was like, what, like, if you were to set a movie in a certain city, what city would you be most interested in seeing it in? Don't know. It depends what the movie's about. Well, yeah. So my number three is Paris. I feel like. There's so many interesting locations in that city uh, that you could utilize, obviously have been utilized uh, at least, what, we've had two, three action movies this year already set at least a sequence in Paris. Oh, no, it was Rome this year. Uh, Rome with the the rolling ball? Yeah. Yeah, that was the Vatican, Uh, mate. Come on. (laughs) But John Wick was in Paris. (laughs) He was in Paris, right? Yeah. No, Paris just reminds me of uh, Woody Allen, so I can't. Well, hush. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Paris, Ratatouille, that's where my mind goes. You know, yeah. French cuisine, Eiffel Tower, uh, G.I. Joe, Joe, them destroying the satchel, the, the Eiffel Tower with the, the acid. That was the thing. Remember? Remember that movie? Yeah, so you, you've taken a broader... I city of tell, Love. I, I've, taken, <laughs> I've taken the city from the movie. You've taken the city. Yeah. You've, you've gone this. The city and then applied them to the movies. Mm. Uh, Dylan, what's your number two? My number two is Christmas Town from Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> is that not is that okay or? no that's fine <laughs> Christmas Town for Night Before Christmas Jack Sullivan goes there it's a great place lots of lights I love it love to live there it'd be fantastic because then you could also jump through a hole and go to Halloween Town it's really great it's like neighboring neighboring cities but yeah Christmas Town one of the best best Christmas cities locations ever put onto a cinema screen and they're bringing so not even cinemas, not even the main city in the movie no the one you visit it for like five minutes that's great just to abduct someone yeah santa claus all right uh my number two was london you know great city uh lots of interesting old buildings uh yeah cabs (laughs) historic landmarks uh buckingham palace i don't know yeah london's my number two dylan what's number one my number one is chicago from the blues blubbers um i think that movie does such a as, as like of all films chicago as, as seen in blue in blues brothers is such a just a uh, a collective mix of music which is obviously what chicago's sort of known for from you know years past to, to current like sort of you know chance to rap like <laughs> we're up to like representing chicago at the moment but it just does such a like adding so much personality to that city from its it's the the big skyscrapers, the big inner city buildings to the the outer suburb sort of um what do they call it? like you know just the fucking the cheap restaurants the fucking where they stop and all that sort of stuff the the highways the, and then the massive chase scene of course like yeah so chicago my number one's new york like i feel like from new york probably, new york <laughs> no just new okay. york in general you know like even this year again a bunch of movies set in new york uh, from Scream 
to like past lives, two completely different movies, uh, or Scream Six, I guess. Um, yeah, just just you know, the biggest city in the world. It's the if you make it there, you make it anywhere. There's so many. It's so incredibly varied. Uh, it's you know got so many layers to it. Obviously, you've got the street level, you've got high rises, you've got underground with the subway, and then you've got you can have crazy sewer systems like. Uh, and then it's got all the different burgs, boroughs, or whatever. You know, it's even in Spider Man this year. Crazy, you know, New York, number pla- number one place to st- set your movie. Dylan, <laughs> this week, what do you want to watch? Um, uh, fucking not a lot to be completely honest. Um, I reckon Ruby. If I if I was to pick to go out, I reckon I'd be wanting to watch Ruby Gilman teammate Teenage Kraken. Would be my movie pick of the week and uh, TV show. Nothing. Uh, I'm keen to go see Blue Beetle. Let's see what that's about. Show me the blue. Is he blue? Is he Beetle? I'm not sure. Okay. Is this beginning of the new DC? <laughs> Why are you against diversity and superheroes, Dylan? Like they're clearly Spanish. They're clearly Latino. I'm against superheroes at this point, I feel. <laughs> uh, and then Welcome to Wrexham Season 2 kicks off. Um, excited to relive the events of the past season in Wrexham with Ryan Reynolds and uh, Rob McElhinney. So yeah, that's those are my picks for this week. Okay. Let us know what you want to watch this week by going to explosion.com slash Twitter letting us know on X uh, or go to our Find us on Discord by going to explosion.com slash Discord. If you want to help us out here at What Do You Want Watch, we leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. Leave us five stars. Anyone can leave five stars. So just tell people about the show. And if you enjoyed this episode, thought it was worth a dollar, head on over to our Kofi page at explosion.com slash support. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, keep watching stuff, I guess.